Sometimes we've had relationships go just like that text messaging chain, hasn't it? It's gone from good to bad and then bad to worse, where everything you do just makes it even worse than it was before. And that's the essence of this series is let's press into those relationships where there's bad blood, where there's moments where things that started off so well ends in disaster. And some of us have lived that out, and some of us are in the midst of living that out. And like I said, even in the welcome, I really believe that this series um, has an ability that God desires to use this series to do for you what the sun is doing to the ice all around us, which is to start to melt and to warm our relationships and and start to to bring life again for where there's been coldness and death. And uh, over the first two weeks, if you haven't heard them, I would encourage you to go back and watch them or listen to them. We've kind of started, the first two weeks of this series was unpacking kind of the preventive tools, Um, learning to practice empathy when you listen to one another. Last week, I think I terrified some of you because I was kind of giving you this visual of the ladder of inference and how what starts off as a comment can turn into a character assassination attempt. And that it's really easy in the course of a week, in the course of a conversation, to make leaps and jumps up that ladder. And hopefully this week, as you've been processing through that, that visual, um, that maybe you've seen those moments yourselves in your own life where what started off as a comment, what does that mean, leapt up, and you're like, oh, I, don't, I think I just moved up the ladder and I need to go back down because it's scary at the top because... Chris demonstrated that last week. And um, so those are really preventative. But I, I said to you last week that some of you, I recognize there are challenges and problems in our relationships with one another, with roommates, with spouse, with kids, with family members, with coworkers, that a ladder doesn't work, that maybe the other construction tool that in your mind that you think would fix the problem would be a shovel, right? That you hit them upside the head with it and then you use it to bury them. That, that sometimes it feels like that's the kind of level. And that's the type of relationship I have, and a ladder's just not going to help that. And what I want to do today, and then Jason's going to do next week, is to give you a little bit more tools to serve you in this process of dealing with bad blood. About a month ago, um, I told you a story. I shared a little bit more of a story um, that kind of from my upbringing, my, my father, and what I want to do today is I want to kind of jump off that and tell you a little bit more. And because it has direct, some direct implications to what we're going to talk about today. Because I really sincerely believe you can have peace about a relationship even if you don't have peace in a relationship. And this is what bad blood and us finding resolution in the midst of it can look like for some of us. Uh, so growing up, uh, I thought I had a father who had passed away when I was three. That was the story I was told. And then um, fast forward around 13, uh, I'm starting to pay attention to genetics. I was a weird nerdy kid. I loved science. I would read science books and would think about scientific things. And DNA was fascinating to me for whatever reason. And I remember just learning about how like you, you're formed and was starting to pay attention to my mom and paying attention to the stories about my dad and was like, there's a disconnect. I'm not like the rest of my family. There are things about me that's just weird compared to them. And it was like beyond just teenage weird, right, where you just think your parents are weird all the time. It was like a, are you sure I'm not adopted kind of weird? Like there are things I have that I don't see in the family tree. And so these were kind of questions and um, one day I just asked my mom, like, Mom, I'm really confused. Where do these things come from? And she's like, well, I, I need to tell you something. And I'm like, okay. And, and as a 13-year-old, I found out that, you know, this father that I 
thought had been my father who died when I was three was in fact not. And that the real one had bounced out before I'd ever been born because he just didn't see how a child could fit into his life. And so you can imagine as a teenager that kind of hitting you, that causes some, some processing through life. Um, I remember in college, I became a Christian in college, and so I started doing something that I hadn't really done very much um, growing up. I started praying. And I remember vividly being in my dorm room um, as a junior, and uh, it was a Friday morning, and I'm kind of doing what I typically do. I read the Bible, and I was praying through what I read and was reflecting and just processing. And um, while I was praying, my father, like my dad, popped up. And it's not that his, his image, because I, I didn't know what he looked like, or, or really, honestly, even his name. I wasn't even sure about that. It was more of just the idea of who he was. And I remember while I was praying, that was a strange thing to pop into my head. So I was just like, okay, I'll pray about him too. So I remember just praying for him, praying that God, like wherever he is, just that very generic God, like, you know, I hope things are going well with him and pray you kind of bless him and, you know, and, and even kind of like offered up this like, I'm over it, it's okay, like I'm good. So I go home that afternoon, and um, it's about a two-hour drive. I get home. My mom's getting ready to pull out. As I'm pulling in, she says, hop in the car. And I'm like, okay. And I get in the car, and she's like, what would you do if I told you um, your dad reached out to me? I was like, whoa. Like, ooh, you know, it's a little freakish, right? I'm like, I, I just was praying about this today. And she was like, um, it's like, well, I mean, I guess that's cool. Like, it's the Internet. Things are happening, you know. This is like the Internet's just happening. So, you know, my mom's like on the Internet. So I'm like, good for you, Mom. And, um, you know, old people emailing. <laughs> and, and so I'm just like, okay, this is interesting. Um, she was like, well, and what if, he, uh, what if he says he wants to talk to you and meet you? And I was like, whoa. I mean, I guess that's okay. And I mean, you know, my stomach, I, like, my heart, I'm like, what in the world? And so um, there's this exchange, and he gets my phone number, and he gives me a call, and it's like back in the day, right? There's cell phones are like as about as big as a car. And so like, you know, I'm like, hello, you know, this is Chris. And it's like, hey, hey, Chris, this is Roger. I'm your dad. You know, and I'm like, this is awkward. First time I'd ever heard his voice. I mean, this is a guy I would not recognize if he walked up to me on the street right now, like sincerely. And um, I'm like, hey. And so we talked for about 30 minutes. And at the end of the call, he says, hey, I'm going to be passing through. And I, I, I kind of shared that with you. And, and I well, went to sleep that night with that huge honking um, kind of machine right beside my ear in case it rang. I would wake up and not miss the call. I woke up the next morning. He didn't call. A couple weeks later, he did the same thing. Hey, didn't apologize for the first time, just kind of dismissed it like it never even happened and did the exact same thing again. And passing through, would love to see you. Even if it's in the middle of the night, I said, look, even if it's in the middle of the night, I'm a college student, I'll probably be up. There's an IHOP right down the road, we can meet up. And he did it again. Months go by, months. And there's a couple of things I was processing through that, that time frame. One was, how could a man that I have never met, that I barely even recognized his voice, cause this much pain? Uh, just quite honestly, I was caught off guard by the level of pain and hurt a person I had never met had caused me. It blindsided me. And th through the other part of the journey, I went from just growing up since from 13 to 20, hearing that it was an excuse, there was an explanation for why he had abandoned me. 
had now moved from being just a mere explanation and excuse to now this very explicit action. It wasn't that he just rejected me once. I'd been rejected again. And this time, the first time wasn't my fault. This time I felt like a fool. I'd been played. And part of me was mad at myself because a man I had never even met did that much to me. And over the course of that time and dealing and processing and reflecting, I got to a place where I was able to forgive him. Where I, for the first time in my entire life, I was no longer this flippant prayer guy, I don't want to forgive him because he was never there, and I'm sure there's a good reason for that, and blah, 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 blah. This was a God, I forgive him for bailing on me. And I forgive him for the phone calls, and I forgive him for the actions. And, and one of the reasons that I knew I'd forgiven him was about a year later, I get the only other communication I've ever received from him, a one-page email that lit me up, up and down, saying that I was the reason the relationship never happened. That he tried to build one with me, and I brushed him off. And I remember reading that email, and there wasn't anger. There wasn't frustration, although that would have been appropriate. What I felt was a profound sense of pity for him. I'd forgiven him. And now I was reading this desperate, clawing, unhealthy, manipulative attempt to cling to something that he had destroyed and had an opportunity to rebuild and destroyed it again. And what I want to do today is I want to press into maybe perhaps a, a sensitive place for some of us, but I want to talk about forgiveness because it's what I did. And I want to tell you why I did it. I'm not going to tell you how today because I, I think most of us kind of get some of the mechanics, but what's more important is the why. Because some of us are sitting in this room today and you carried in a heavy weight because of things that have been done to you or things that you have done to others. And chances are that for the rest of us that maybe are not currently in that space, that there's a chance that we will be in that space in the near future where something will have been said or something will have been done either by you or to you and you'll be in that place too. And the way that we move past that place is what I want to talk about today. There were three reasons I forgave my father. Three reasons that caused me to step over that line. And there's three reasons, those same three reasons that come from Matthew 5, 23 and 24 are the reasons I want to give you that you should forgive too. And if there's currently no one in your life you need to seek forgiveness or ask for forgiveness or give forgiveness to, that you would earmark this because one day you will. And in that moment, for you to come back to this moment as the reason you need to move forward. So the passage, 23, 24, chapter 5, Matthew. I want to set the backdrop. If you have the Encounter Church app, you can go ahead and click on it. But in, in these two verses are these three reasons that I think make it very clear and essential that we need to forgive people. Reasons that I think no matter where you are in your journey, no matter where you are even in your spiritual journey, even if you don't believe any of this stuff today, I'm telling you these three reasons have the potential to transform your life regardless of your beliefs. So set the backdrop. So Matthew is part of what we call the Christian Bible. The Christian Bible is actually two volumes. There's volume one, which is called the Old Testament, and then there's volume two, which is called the New Testament. The Old Testament is primarily centered around Jewish history, the story of creation, the story of the, the birth of a nation of Israel, and kind of their period and their histories of struggles and victories and strife and trials. 
And then some promises embedded in volume one about one day God providing hope, one day God providing a savior, one day God providing someone who steps in and transforms this whole thing. Because the declaration of volume one are things are broken. And we see that every day. Things are not the way they could or should be. That we're not the way we could or should be. And then volume two is the New Testament. And it's primarily centered on the story of Jesus, His teachings, and the church, the people that come out of that movement called Christianity. And that's the volume one and volume two. And the, the first book, and really these volumes are a collection of letters or books that were written specific people. The first letter in this volume two is the letter of Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector who would not have been very popular in his day. In, uh, in the course of life circumstances, he meets Jesus and Jesus says, hey, come follow me, come learn from me, come become like me. And Matthew says, okay. And he walks away from a very lucrative but sketchy industry called being a kind of tax collector and watches Jesus perform miracles, watches Jesus live this extraordinary life, watches Jesus die on the cross, and then watches Jesus come back from the dead and says, I've got to capture this for people. I've got to collect this. And so Matthew goes and like a Michael Lewis of his day begins to weave together the narrative of Jesus's life through interviews and through personal recollections and through eyewitness testimonies. He's talking to different people. That's why we know certain things about Mary and what Mary was thinking. is because Matthew sits down with Mary and says, Mary, tell me about the day Jesus was born. She said, I treasured it. It's this really personal, profound experience for me to look at my baby. And Matthew's writing out of that. And so Matthew has this really kind of big picture view of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 5, you have the beginning of one of the most significant messages that have ever been preached. You have what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 lay out the Sermon on the Mount. And Sermon on the Mount is considered one of the great English kind of literary triumphs in human history. I remember even before I was a Christian in college, our English teacher studied the Sermon on the Mount. Because there's so many profound statements. There's so many like beautiful pictures and kind of these really profound sense of arguments that Jesus would make and that in the midst of this message about everything, Jesus was dissecting religious confusion in his day. Really what Jesus was doing was Jesus was moving people past the external of seeing rules and getting to the heart and seeing relationship. That's really what he was doing. He's like, you've heard it said, don't, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you even do it in your heart, you've crossed the line. Like he was pushing past the rules to the heart of the relationship. And he does this in chapter 5. Right before we get to the passage we're going to talk about today, he talks about murder. He says, you've heard it's wrong. You've heard it said, referring to the Ten Commandments, that it's wrong to kill someone. In which everyone's like, yes. He's like, but I tell you that if you use your words and your actions to demean or to cut down, that you've started to kill them in a slower way. He gets to the heart that he's like, there's not just murder. He's like, there's also ways of killing relationships slowly too. That's not one fell swoop. And he talks about the words we use and the actions that we have. And in the backdrop of murder, in the backdrop of the power of our words to kill relationships and the actions to kill relationships, he introduces this passage where he says in verse 23, therefore, this is why he's saying therefore, because therefore, if our words have the power to kill relationships, therefore, 
If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, right? He says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. And in the course of these three verses, he gives us three reasons. And these three reasons are really quick. I'm not going to belabor them, but I'm going to walk through each one of them. The first is that he, in verse 23, he encourages them, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something. Now, here's something important. Jesus is speaking this particular Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because he was on a mountain. And on the mountain, there's this gathering crowd Tens of thousands of people potentially there to hear Jesus speak this message. This location is Capernaum, which is a city that you've probably never heard of. But here's what's important. The place when he says the altar, he's referring to what Jews would have known was the temple. So at the temple, there was this altar. This was like the holy site. You can still go there today where the, what's called the Wailing Wall is the east wall of kind of Jerusalem. And that's where the temple was. And so Jesus is saying to this crowd in Capernaum, when you're at the altar, when you're in Jerusalem, and remember something that you have done or something that someone has against you, leave. Now here's what's crazy. This location and this location are 106 miles apart one way. And the way that you would have gotten from here to there was you would have walked. Now, it's been estimated that in ancient times, based on the roads and the conditions of the roads, the average ancient kind of first civilization um, individual would have walked about 20 miles a day. This is a six-mile journey one way. To go from here to there took six days of walking. And not only did it take six days of walking, from here to here is 34 feet, 3,400 feet in elevation distance. You're literally going uphill. And what makes it even crazy is it's not a gradual slope. The last 15 miles of your journey is where a bulk of the altitude happens. You go from this point to this point in the course of about 15 miles. You cover almost 3,000 feet. You climb a mountain. And this is the backdrop for what Jesus says to him. He says, look, if you're there and you remember someone over here has something against you, then leave here. Go over here. Deal with this. And then come back. He's like, by the way, if you happen to be there, add two weeks to your schedule. And deal with your relationship. Because here's why. The first reason is that Jesus understood that we cannot move past our past if we don't forgive. If we're not willing to forgive, what happens to us is we stay st stuck, we stay stranded in that moment where forgiveness never happened. That we can't move past our past into our future unless we move past our past. That's what he's saying. He's like, don't even move forward. Don't take one more step at the altar into your future, right? Your present is currently under, under hostage. It's under siege by the past that you have not resolved. He's like, leave there and go deal with it. Because when we're willing to forgive, it frees us to move past our past. What's fascinating is even this week in a completely unseparated kind of, I came across a study um, that's in kind of recent neurological research. They've discovered um, that when people are asked under MRIs and they're watching their brains actively think, when they're asked to think about their past, 
The same part of their brain that gets activated gets also activated when they think about their future. That Jesus was picking up on something that's innately wired into how our brains work. The same part of your brain that thinks about your past is the same part of your brain that's used to think about your future. That you and I, at the neurological level, cannot move past our past. Like, we can't step into our future if we're still stuck here. And you've probably seen that. I've seen that. Honestly, I was a few minutes late this morning. The reason why is because in a meeting Friday, in the course of a meeting, I said something stupid to someone at that meeting. Now, for those who kind of get to know me, you realize I'm probably weird. I'm a whole lot more comfortable up here than I am sitting down one-on-one, and that's just how I'm wired. My, my wife and, and some of my friends like to refer to me as Sheldon with a filter. That If you've ever seen the show Big Bang Theory, uh, right? Big Bang Theory that um, Sheldon sometimes says stupid stuff that he's just completely oblivious to the way it lands with other people. I, I am functionally Sheldon. I just happen to have a filter, thank you God, most of the time. And the times that my filter goes offline and has to get reset, things still come out. And I happened to be at a meeting, and I said something that was really offensive to someone and was hurtful because I wasn't processing through their perspective. And so this morning driving here, I was like, I need to call and apologize to him because I was a fool. And I'd spent so much of my weekend thinking about that moment, that moment that is done, A conversation, three seconds of a statement consumed 30 minutes of my weekend. And thinking and talking and reflecting that when we choose to to forgive, we can move past our past and move into our present. And there's a power there, and Jesus understands that, and that's why he's encouraging them to move past their past by forgiving. But then verse 24, he picks up on another reason. He says that in the course of leaving and, and going, that he says, Leave it there and first and go be reconciled. This is actually a really interesting realization that Jesus is unfolding for them. You came to the altar. You traveled all of that distance because you valued your relationship with God. That for a Jew who traveled all that distance, it was because they valued the relationship that they had with God. And, and they were there presenting a gift at the altar to celebrate that relationship, to develop that relationship, to grow in that relationship. And Jesus drops this bomb on him where he says, listen, if your relationship is hindered over there, it affects your relationship over here too. That many of us fall into a trap of believing that the walls I built to keep that person out does not affect the relationships that I have with people over here. And the reality is, is that the walls you build to keep someone over here out also prevents someone over here from getting into. That when we build walls to protect ourselves, we, we isolate ourselves and we isolate others from ourselves. And Jesus is like, look, you can't even foster a relationship with God if your relationship over here is hindered. And some of us have seen this practically, right? You, you have a bad day at work. You come home. You want to kick an animal. You get mad at your spouse. You scream at your kids. Why? Because a relationship over here got damaged. There was something that happened, and you brought that bad blood home, and it spills out on others. Someone cuts you off on the way to work, and your coworkers get the penalty for it. That we allow that bad blood. And Jesus says, look, Stuff like that spills over. The walls we build over here keep people from being able to get in that we want to get, that we want to foster those relationships. And the reason we forgive, the reason we're willing to tear down the walls 
here is because we realize it helps other relationships be strengthened too. And that's why it's worth being reconciled over here because that allows you to step back to this place at the altar and grow in your relationship with God. That many of us struggle relationally. Many of us have trouble moving past, and, and I don't mean intimacy in any kind of like grand, you know, like marital sense. I just mean some of us struggle to get to know people. Some of us struggle with intimacy because we're still building walls from something that happened in our lives 20 years ago. And, and as long as we live with those walls up, we will struggle to develop intimacy in the lives and relationships here today. Because unless a wall comes down, people can't come in. And that's the second reason. The way we, when we forgive, that wall starts to crumble. And that's the second reason. Jesus was encouraging people to forgive. And then he gives them the final reason. He says that then come and offer your gift. He says come back to the altar. And this kind of gets to the heart of why they were there in the first place. Because of their special relationship with God and all that it represented. But here's the key. And this, is the, this would be the last reason, but I, I want to give you a disclaimer. This will not apply to everybody in the room, and it's okay. That this applies for those people who are in this room who would say, I'm a Christian, I, I understand God's grace, and, I, and I'm, I'm all into that. Like, I, I put my hope, trust, I'm like faith in Jesus, I'm a Christian, I know that. This applies specifically to you and me. For those who are in this room who are not sure where they are along the spectrum or they're still processing, they have a lot of questions, you get a free pass on this one. But still listen in because you've got something to leverage against us who claim to follow Jesus. And this, I would argue, is the most significant reason of all. He says, if you happen to get to the altar, and while you're there, you think about him, right? He pops in your head. And while you're standing in line waiting at the altar, all of a sudden, all these grievances come up. The selfishness, right? The lies, and all these things that they've done to you just pours in. You're like, the pride. You're sitting there, and all this stuff is flooding your mind. All of it's just pouring through. While you're standing there at the altar, he's like, I, I, I want to remind you why you're at the altar in the first place. You're there with that gift because you're there to celebrate a God who no longer holds things against you. He says, and while you're at that altar, if that list of grievances starts to run to mind, I, I, I want to help you. I want to change your perspective. He says, while you're at the, the line and you're thinking consumed about him and what he's done, I want you to remember what you've done. That there is that same list of selfishness against you. There have been lies that you've told. And there's been pride that's marked your life as well. And that while you're standing in front of the altar focused on only one column of that cost sheet, that you would pay attention that on the other side is a, a column that's filled with the things that you've done to. And that you're at that altar celebrating a God who's forgiven you for what you've done. And that because of His forgiveness, because of what He's poured out over you in your life, that if you're a Christian in this room, we have no right to hold that very precious thing that He's extended to us from someone else. That when we choose to hold back the very thing that makes us Christians, then we 
we above all other people are being hypocrites in that moment. That God has generously poured out so much on us. And that we, because of His generosity, because of this word, this very distinctly Christian word called grace, because of grace given to us that we did not deserve, we are able to give it to others who don't deserve it too. Because He, he had a far longer list than what we will ever have on someone else. And I'm not saying that we minimize it or dismiss it. Please don't hear me say that. But I mean that when we offer forgiveness, we look square into the eyes and the reality of what it is and the nastiness that it contained. That we look at the cross and realize how brutal the cross was because of the punishment that Jesus took. Because of that whole paradigm of what He did so that we could have grace. That God did not minimize, God did not lessen or kind of diminish what we had done to Him. But He extended grace anyway. And that the reason I was able to forgive my Father on earth was because I had been forgiven by my Father in heaven. And because of His forgiveness on me, because of His grace on me, I was able to give it to Him. And that freedom, that my life is not motivated or moved by guilt, but by grace, was allowed me to be propelled into that relationship and bring grace with me. And that maybe you're in this room today and you don't have a box for a faith structure or even Christianity maybe. You grew up in a really, un, if I can just be candid, a very unhealthy theological environment. And you were told that Christianity's driving engine is guilt, then I'm sorry. That was never Christianity's driving engine. The engine that the heartbeat of our faith has always been grace. What He has wiped away for us that allows us to wipe it away for others. That that's the heart of our faith. That's what moves us. And one of the things that if maybe you're in this room and you're like, I, I want to figure out how to process through forgiveness. I want to learn more about this whole guilt to grace flip that Jesus did. Then I put something in the app for you. That at your convenience, at your pace, that you could, while driving into work or sitting at your desk or maybe even at your house, click on the resource tab. And there's a link to a video of one of my favorite teachers, one of my favorite communicators in all of America talking about this idea of forgiveness because of Jesus. That can maybe give you some, some helpful hooks in a way that I, I don't have time to unpack this morning for you. But here's the key as we wrap up. I want you to notice something. None of the reasons in this verse that he gives to us and none of the reasons that I've given you today has anything to do with their response. You notice that? None of it has to do with how they respond back to you. It has everything to do with the initiative that you take. And maybe while perhaps their response is related, it's not the same topic. The related issue is around this issue of boundaries. You know, the, what, if they, what if they don't receive it? Or what if they keep doing the thing that I forgave them for? Like, what are all those what-ifs? And I would say those are all valid questions. But that's not this scope of this message, that's an area called boundaries. 
And next week, as we wrap up this series, Jason's going to teach on this topic of boundaries. He's going to unpack for you that other side of the conversation and how we process through that and how we move through relationships and how we can truly have, even if there is no peace within that relationship, how we can find peace about that relationship. That what we were focused on today is imagining how we could be people who are no longer trapped by our past, stranded in relationships that are stuck and, and clogged from being able to give grace because we're so consumed by guilt or someone else's. That what we've talked about today is biblical forgiveness and how when we understand that, we start to let go of grievances. That we start to give a, like allow those things to move past our past. That we forgive. And then doing so, we start to see other relationships get released to grow and to be strengthened. And then ultimately that we get reminded of how much we've been forgiven too. That that, those three reasons are the reasons I forgave that day. And it's the same three reasons that I believe that no matter where you are in this room and no matter what's going on around you in this room are the same reasons that you should forgive too. And what I want to do as the, the band comes back is I recognize that there are some, some of us who really need to process through this. And so I want to kind of lead for a brief second, and then we'll kind of go into our response time, and then we can step out and enjoy this beautiful day. But here's, here's my encouragement to you. That as I pray, I want to actually pray specifically for some of you. That whether you're here in this room or joining us online, that maybe there's someone, as I was speaking, that came to mind. There's a relationship. It may, it may be significant or it may feel small, like what happened Friday for me. But you know that you need to deal with it. And while I'm praying and wrapping up, I, I would like to pray specifically for you. That I don't have to know the situation God does. The person beside you doesn't even have to know the situation. But as I close this out in prayer, I'm going to pray specifically that this would be the week or that maybe today would be the day that forgiveness would start to flow in and through you. And that you would find freedom from your past. And that you would start to see your other relationships blossoming. And that you would be reminded of how much grace He's extended to you. And by extension, through you. And for the rest of us, I, while I'm praying, uh, just for you, that we would internalize this, that we would keep a short list, that whenever we've wronged someone or whenever we've been wronged, that we give forgiveness quickly, that we don't hold on to the grievances because they get heavy very quickly, that we forgive fast because we've been forgiven. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you, you forgive and because of your forgiveness, that we can forgive as well. And I pray that for us in this room, some of the names, some of the faces, some of the people that come to mind, that we need to move past. I pray that you would give us the courage, you would give us the strength, that you would give us the wisdom, the words to say, to extend forgiveness. That you would help us to be reminded of what you've done for us and allow us through that to do it for others. 
And so may today or this week be the, be the moment where walls come down, where grace flows, where forgiveness is given, where relationships thrive, and where bad blood is healed. And for the rest of us in this room, God, may we be people who keep a very short account, who don't allow grievances to just hunker down, but that we would forgive quickly or we would ask for forgiveness quickly. That I am sorry would be the words on our lips and that we would find our relationships protected from the bad blood that could creep in and destroy them. And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.